actually going to be teaching tonight. Uh, I was going to do it next week, but uh, there's a possibility that some things could, uh, could, could hinder that. And so we are going to be teaching tonight about washing feet. So, amen. And uh, it's something you ought to do on your own on a regular basis. But, uh, but, but there, is a, there, is a, there is a spiritual blessing that comes from, from these sacraments that the early church practiced and believed in. And so I want to go to the Gospel of John, chapter number 13. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me? I know you just sat down a moment ago, and I know you've had a long day at work and, and, and all of that. But let's stand in honor to the reading of God's Word And then we're going to ask the Lord to be with us and help us. He riseth, speaking of Christ, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, Dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. It's a pretty bold man right there. Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, Thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Changed his tune, didn't he? Like that preacher said, the Lord changed his tune. Verse number 12, so after he had washed their feet, And had taken his garments, and he was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I have done unto you? You call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Lord, I pray that you would anoint me as we're in your word tonight, anoint our ears to hear. God, I pray that you would add your blessing to this word tonight in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise and you can be seated tonight. The word that we find in verse number 14. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Simply means to wash the feet of another. Not your own, but someone else's. When we do communion and foot washing, as we will here in 10 days, It is a holy time for the church. It is the night that we celebrate what is referred to as the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. We call the celebration communion 
or the Lord's Supper. It is referred to as a sacrament. A sacrament because it is a sacred event for the church. I will be honest with you, and I spoke of this when we discussed the latter part of Acts 2, that we don't do it enough. The main reason why, honestly, is because when we announce a foot washing service, people don't come. That's, I mean, that's as plain as it can be. And, uh, and I guess if I didn't really understand foot washing and somebody said we're going to wash feet, I might not come either <laughs> if I didn't know about it. And so if you don't know about it, that's why I'm talking about it tonight. If you do know about it, I'm here to talk about it again. We have a lot of new people who have never taken sacrament here. Since the last time we did it about a year ago, we, uh, we have a lot of new people. And, uh, and I'm going to direct them on Sunday to watch tonight's lesson before the following Sunday. There are some things I want to talk about tonight that will lead us into this night of sacrament, this night of sacred following of the Lord's commandments. I'll talk a lot about the modern brand of Christianity and the symptoms of our so-called Christian culture in the world that we're living in. And then I'll have you judge for yourself how much of what I'm going to talk about tonight really applies to your own life. One of the most important sites in the entire Bible is the site known as Mount Sinai. It was this area in ancient Israel where Moses was given the Ten Commandments from God. In Exodus, it says that, that it was Sinai. In Deuteronomy, it calls it Mount Horeb. Most scholars consider Horeb and Sinai to be the same place, just referred to by different names. And in Exodus 17 is the place where God brought water out of the rock for Moses. And so you see initially already two very important things happen at this place. It was there that Moses got the Ten Commandments, and it was there that water came out of the rock. In Exodus chapter number 33, this is the place where Israel took off the, their jewelry and covenant with God. So now you see three things happening here. Commandments, and then God provides water. And then God requires more of them. You watch in the word of God that God gives a commandment and then he gives a blessing for following the commandment. And then it's usually at that same place that God calls us closer to him. Today, at the foot of Mount Sinai, if you were to travel there, you would find that there is an ancient monastery known as St. Catherine's Monastery. This, this monastery was built between the years of 527 and 565 A.D. St. Catherine's is noted as the world's oldest functioning Christian monastery. Massive walls were constructed to protect worshipers from attacks from their enemies. The entrance to the walls of St. Catherine's monastery is a single door 30 feet above the ground. 
They would, try, they would rise from the desert floor on a elaborate systems of pulleys and ropes that would get them up 30 feet to go into the door. The door was so high so that their enemies, the attackers, could not penetrate the monastery. So they made this monastery as a place to worship God. But now they have turned it into a fortress. What was intended to be a place where people could come and worship God is now a fortress only for the ones already on the inside. I read an article some time ago titled, Is Your Church a Kingdom Colony or a Country Club? Now, when I saw that title, it instantly got my attention. Is Your Church a Kingdom Colony or a Country Club? In this article, the author, Trevin Wax, compared the modern church to St. Catherine's Monastery. He said, too often we turn the kingdom colony into a country club. Our focus becomes the preservation of the insiders rather than the reaching of outsiders. Amen. And truly the most popular modern form of American Christianity tends to become engrossed with the people who are already on the inside and ignore the people on the outside. Amen. In his doctrinal dissertation at Liberty University, Robert James Caulfield said, and I quote, the church in America has become a very inwardly focused organization that has become obsessed with itself. My greatest challenge as a pastor is the constant struggle to keep the eyes of the church outward rather than inward. When a church becomes selfish, when a Christian becomes selfish, it's impossible for that church and that Christian to become what the Bible says we're supposed to be and makes it impossible to be a disciple and be on mission for Jesus Christ. Can I say it again? When a church or a Christian becomes inward focused, it becomes impossible for that church and that Christian to fulfill the mission of God. Jesus understood the need for Christians to be outward focused. It weighed heavily on his mind. In his final hours of life, he spent valuable time, the last moments he would spend with his disciples. He knew that in his immediate future, there's going to be suffering. There's a cross waiting for me. There's a crown of thorns waiting for me. The Roman soldier is going to take the cat of nine tails to my back. I'm going to bleed. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. I'm going to have nails through my hands and through my feet. I'm going to have a spear thrust into my side. I'm going to die a brutal, agonizing, slow death on a cross. And in his last few hours with his disciples, with that weighing on his mind and spirit, I would say there'd be a lot of things that he would want to talk about. I have thought before, I, I, I've told you this, and, and, and I know it's, it seems a little morbid, but I have preached my own funeral. I've told you that already. I think I've told you that. I've preached my own funeral. It's recorded. It, uh, it's ready. If something happens, 
You're going to hear me preach about holiness and one God and Jesus' name and faithfulness and service and, and not skipping church and being involved in church. You're going to hear me preach everything that, that, that needs to be preached that I don't want somebody else to have to do it at my funeral. I'm going to preach to you about not making your next pastor have to worry about where you are when church time comes around. And not have to beg you to get involved in ministry and get working for God. I'm going to do it myself, and you can get mad at me if you want, because I'll already be dead. <laughs> and so that's done. And, uh, and hopefully it doesn't get used for a long time. But when I was preparing that, it was back when, when we had that big outbreak of COVID back last summer. Brother, Dr. This is a doctor, actually a doctor, Reveille. But we had 105 people at one time that had COVID. And I figured if they got it, I'll probably get it. And if I do, I might not be able to preach my own funeral, so I preached it while I could. And so I thought, I thought something. I thought, if I, if I could leave just a last few words for my wife and girls, what would I want to say? I put my mind frame about what would I want to say. And, that's, and I said... Live for God, live holy, live right, love the truth. And, and so all the things that I, that I would want to say, and I, I understand you're sitting there thinking that's one weird preacher, and that's, that's fine, but you're going to hear it someday. Jesus is in the last few hours with his disciples. He's saying the very last things he's ever going to say to them. And He's going to be arrested and he's going to suffer. And just and, and that very night, he's going to be arrested. And so these are the last moments he has with these disciples. Anything he's going to tell them before the cross, he's got to tell them now. And so he fixes, he, he prepares for them the Passover supper, what we call the last supper, because it is his last meal. It consists of two items, unleavened bread, and wine. The unleavened bread, as he breaks it, he tells them, this represents my body that's going to be broken for you. And then he passes the cup with the wine. And he says, this represents my blood that's going to be shed in just a little while for you. The ultimate sacrifice for sin. And he tells them, every time that you do this, this meal, unleavened bread, and wine, every time you do it, remember my body was broken for you and my blood was shed for you. He spends time reminding them about his impending death, instructing them about the kingdom of God. After the meal, the disciples, they begin to talk among each other. And while he is here with the weight of the cross beginning to to settle on him. The disciples get into a debate about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. It's like they're spending their inheritance before he's even dead. Who's going to be the greatest? Without Jesus here, who's going to be the leader? Who's, who's going to be the best? They begin to argue about about who is going to rise in and be the, 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 the big shot among the disciples. It, it shows the selfish nature of humanity that Jesus Christ is in the room 
And they're already arguing about who's going to do what he did. Their master, their mentor, the Messiah, the Savior, is moments away from arrest and being killed, and they are vying for position. 2,000 years ago, I'll tell you in the last 2,000 years, it hadn't got better. It's gotten worse. Y'all okay with me tonight? You there? A recent study published by Psychological Science suggests that people across the globe are becoming more individualistic over time. Research shows a rise in narcissism. It suggests that people are becoming more isolated and focused on themselves rather than others. Everybody say others. The article went on to say social media may actually lead to greater self-centeredness as people strive to make their presence known. Much of social media is all about me. Lorna Martin wrote an article titled, It's Not All About You. How Selfishness is Ruining Our Society and Turning Children into Monsters. She wrote about the results of a study of children and parents commissioned by the Children's Society. The two-year study interviewed 35,000 children, parents, and professionals, an extensive research project. The results of the study claimed that almost all the problems facing young people, almost all the problems facing young people stem from a culture of excessive individualism that has developed in recent decades. The results said the, quote, me first attitude of adults in which they struggle for status and success was causing the family to break down. Unkindness among teenagers. I might throw in teenagers and 11-year-olds. Unkindness among teenagers and premature sexualization of children by advertisers. The report pointed out that a number of children with emotional or behavioral, behavioral problems has risen to 16% or has risen 10% and 16% are less happy than they were. The chief executive of the Children's Society said the report was a wake-up call and that, quote, the aggressive pursuit of individual success by adults is the greatest threat to our children. He says that selfishness has filled the vacuum created by the decline of religious belief. And the widespread belief among adults is that the prime duty of individuals is to make the most of their own life rather than to contribute to the lives of others. And studies have shown, I'm quoting still, studies have shown that we have become wealthier over the past 50 years, but there's been no rise in happiness. We have more of everything except for happiness. Depression is rising. Dr. Sue Gerhart calls it the impoverished emotional culture. Rich financially, emotionally in poverty. And so they say every church function and program becomes weighed out by the member with the thought, what does this do for me? 
while disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And they're vying for position. Eleven men arguing over who's going to be the most awesome while they're arguing among themselves with their selfish nature, Jesus quietly takes off his outer robe and wraps a towel around his waist and pours water in a basin. And one by one, he lays the basin at the feet of these arguing disciples. And he begins to wash their feet. One by one, these selfish men have the creator of the universe bowing at their feet, washing the dirt off of them. He goes down the line and finally he gets to Simon Peter and Simon Peter is the only one that has the courage to say what they all were thinking. You're not washing my feet. I should be washing yours, but you're not washing mine. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part in me. Not a little, you, you, not even a little. You have nothing to do with me at all if you don't let me wash your feet. And Peter says, well, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head. Wash, give me everything. One by one, he washed their feet and sat back at the table and he asked them a question. Do you know what I've done? Do you have an understanding of what I just did to you? You've been arguing about who is the greatest. And I'm telling you that he that is greatest should be the servant of all. To understand what he was teaching, you have to understand something about the culture of that day. People didn't have cars, buses, and trains. You know that. They walked. If they went, they walked. They wore sandals. They didn't have, they didn't have nice shoes keeping their feet clean. They wore sandals on dirt paths. So you can understand how their feet would look. Right? You ever have a, a child play outside all day barefoot and see what happens to their feet? These people walked like that everywhere they went. Their feet would get dirty and dusty as they walked. And to keep from bringing the dirt from the outside into their house, when you would go to the door, there would be a basin of water. There would be a basin of water sitting by the door. And that basin of water had a specific purpose. We don't want the dirt from outside to get on the inside. And so what we're going to do is we're going to wash your feet when you come in so that you don't have to carry what you got on you out there in here. If you were wealthy, you had a servant to do it. When you came to a wealthy person's house, you would come in the door and the servant of the house would wash the feet of the guest who entered. Every time you went into the house, your feet were washed. Everyone in Jesus' culture understood that it's a servant who washes the feet when a guest comes in. That's why when Peter 
told Jesus, you're not washing my feet, he wasn't just being, a, he wasn't just being difficult. He was saying, you're the master of everything. Only the servant washes feet. You're not, the, you're not the servant. You're our Lord and master. You're our Messiah. You're everything to us. You can't wash my feet. I'm the servant. I'm serving you. I'm supposed to wash your feet. And Jesus said, if you don't let me do this, you have no part in me because you don't understand what I'm trying to teach the church. You don't understand what I'm trying to start in the culture of my kingdom. And if you don't let me do this, not only are you keeping me from washing your feet, but you're stopping me from teaching every generation of the church from here on how important it is to be thinking of others instead of self. He said, you want to be great, but I've washed your feet. I've done what a servant does. I created the universe. I, I hung the stars. I'm the one that dug the oceans and raised the mountains. I'm the one that created the sky. The wind blows when I tell it to. The rain falls when I give it commands. I'm the one that orders the universe. I'm the one that makes the earth spin. I'm the one that makes the sun to shine. I'm the one that makes the moon reflect the light. I do all this, but I got on my knees in front of you, and I washed your feet. I'm teaching you that no matter how great you want to be, you cannot get there without a servant's heart. You have to serve one another. You can never feel like you're above serving. So while you were arguing about who's going to be the greatest, I decided to give you a lesson right before I die. John 13, 14, and 15, if I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I've done unto you. Our society is self-focused. The modern individual is all about me. I don't think Jesus would have taken a selfie. The modern church is inward-focused. But a true biblical church needs to be others-focused. We should wash one another's feet. Amen. So how do I live that principle in my everyday life? Should I have a bucket of water by the door and every time somebody comes into my house, wash their feet before I let them in? Should we have basins of water at the door of the church so we don't let any dirty people come in? That, we'll, that, that we wash their feet at the door so all the stuff from out there, no, we don't do that. We don't do that. How do we apply what he did to our modern society? How do we take what Jesus taught the disciples that day and live it in a real way in the modern church? We don't wear sandals. We're not walking dusty roads. like, And we, we don't... Uh, so, so we don't fulfill that part of it. That was a custom to wash. That, and we don't have to do that. We ride in cars. We ride in cars. We, uh, we, have, we have nice shoes that keep our feet relatively clean. 
We don't wear sandals and walk the roads, uh, the, the dirt roads in, in the world today. So we fulfill this. And one of the ways that we do it is by remembering it as a sacrament of the church. It's a reminder. It's a reminder that God set the example that we should serve one another. We put aside our own feelings and desires and we humble ourselves to one another by washing each other's feet. The church must be about others and not self. We must serve each other. Every single person in this church should find a ministry to serve in. There should be, there should be no one that feels satisfied just showing up and not being involved somehow, somewhere. We should never have to try to figure out how we're going to get enough people to help with the ministry. We should have more volunteers than we have jobs for. Instead, we have certain people doing five, ten ministries because we can't get some people to do any. Washing each other's feet. Matthew 5, 43 through 47. You have heard it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. I mean, is that not the world we live in? Love your, love your friends, but hate everybody else? Anybody thinks a little different than you, hate them? Anybody votes for somebody different than you, hate them? Love your neighbor, hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. When he said, but I say unto you, he's saying, here's the contrast. The world lives one way, but I'm telling you, you got to live this way. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Why should I do all that? That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. You can not truly be a child of God and be overcome with hatred and bitterness and division. Praise God. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. Why, if God doesn't decide that some people don't deserve the rain and the sun, why do I get the right to decide who deserves it and who doesn't? For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? He said, when you just love the people that love you, you're no better than the world. The world does that. There's no influence of the Spirit there. There's no influence of the nature of Christ. There's no influence of, of the Spirit of Christ. If you just love the people that love you, even the sinners do that. It, it doesn't take any active activity of Christ in my life to do what the world does. And if you salute your brethren only, if you only can say hello to your friends and family, and you can't speak to somebody else, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the publicans so? He said, don't say you're a Christian and then, and then act just like the world does. Jesus said, if you only love those who love you, you've not done anything. So Philippians 2, 3 through 5. I'm 
I'm trying to hurry. I didn't eat supper tonight. My belly wants me to hurry. And so does yours. Philippians 2, 3 through 5. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Well, you're not going to tell me. I'll do. You're not going to act like that. Well, no. Don't do anything through strife and vainglory. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Everybody say others. Look not every man on his own things. Don't only think about yourself. Don't only think about your own time and your own stuff. Well, I'd get involved in Sunday school, but that'd take some of my time out. Look not on your own things. I'd get involved in a ministry, but I just got other stuff I want. Look not every man on his own things. I'd do something, but I really just don't want to take the time. Look not every man on his own things, but every man on the things of others. Every man also on the things of others. Why should I have that mindset? Why should I have the mindset of others? You guys alive? My preaching is, is a great cure for insomnia. Why should I have the mindset of thinking about others? Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Because that's the mind of Christ, not self. When someone new comes into the church, it's our job to meet them and greet them and include them. Not congregate into friend and family groups and fellowship with our own first. It's others first. Everybody say that. Others first. Well, what about me? Well, when we start asking what about me, that means we're not in the Bible. Washing one's, one another's feet is a reminder of what Jesus did, a reminder that we are to serve one another, to do good deeds for one another, doing for others what we commonly would consider a servant's job. Now, look, we're not bringing a, a pedicure set to church, okay? We're not bringing brushes and, and, uh, and, and all that stuff. We're not doing that. Would you, I asked my friend if he'd let me wash his feet before, and he said he would, but I can't do it with your shoes and socks on. Well, I can, but I don't want to. <laughs> Washing one another's feet is a reminder of what Jesus did, a reminder that we are to serve one another. The point is, no one wants to wash someone else's feet. No one wants to lower themselves down. You can't wash someone's feet without stooping down. That's what Jesus was teaching. To the disciples arguing over position, you're trying to climb the ladder of success and you haven't even noticed that the Savior has knelt before you. 
And he said, you don't know what I've done, but what I've done is I've, ta I've taught you the mindset of Christ. Walking through life gets your feet dirty. Amen. Walking through life, Lot's righteous soul was vexed by seeing and hearing. Walking through this world gets your feet dirty. We pick up attitudes. We pick up ways and means of this world just by walking through it. Being every day around people who are perverse and vile and crude, hearing all that junk all the time, cursing, swearing, anti-Christian talk in the world, rubbing shoulders with skeptics and scoffers and mockers and unbelievers. And after a day or a week of that, you're just like, God, my feet are dirty. I don't believe all that. I don't believe all that mess. I don't buy into all that, but I feel just from walking through it, it's just, it's, it's on me. I've had to walk through life. My feet are dirty. And so God cleanses us with the water of his word, renews our spirit, renews our faith, purges our heart from attitudes that we picked up. And God has sent us into the world to be salt and light. And so what we do is we become servants. And every once in a while, we just need our feet washed. So here's what Jesus said, John 17 and 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou should keep them from evil. Jesus didn't say, God, isolate them so that they can't get any dirt on them. Don't, he didn't say lock them in a room, lock them in a church so they sing to themselves and preach to themselves and shake hands among themselves and never get any influence. No, don't, don't do that. Don't take them out of the world, but keep them from evil. Help the world not to get into them. John 13 and 10, Jesus saith to him, he that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. He said, he that's washed, you don't need to do anything but wash your feet. You're, you're, he said, when you've been born again, when you've been washed by the blood, he said, you're not, when you, when you go out into the world, he said, you're not getting everything filthy again. He said, you just every so often need your feet washed. You just need, a, just need a little cleansing to remind you of your position and your place as a servant of Christ. Amen. I'm doing sermon surgery as I stand here. Jesus said, Jesus said, I'm going to John 13, and 13, you call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash 
one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. So Jesus said, he instituted it as a sacrament of the church. So, wash somebody's feet, what you're saying is, I value you. It's not all about me. And if my Lord could wash the feet of people who are arguing for position, then I can wash my brother's feet. And when you do it, it is a holy moment because we're fulfilling the commandment of God. It's not just a old-fashioned, out-of-time ritual. You see, that's a lot of the problem with modern Christianity, is it wants to take everything that's holy and reduce it to some ancient practice that has no value today. But Jesus said, if I've washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. It's not hard to do, if you will, just hold your foot. What they would do is they would just wash the dust, just rinse the dust off of their foot. And when we do it, we pray, God bless my brother. God, I pray you bless Brother Reveille in his ministry. God, I pray your anointing over him. I pray, God, that every, every step of his life would be ordered by you. God, this is your man and your blessing on him. And, God, you've called him and anointed him. And so, God, I ask you, Lord Jesus, to pour a blessing over him. God, in the name of Jesus, I ask for your anointing to cover him. I ask you, God, to touch his family. I ask you, God, to anoint his ministry. I ask you, God, to pour your anointing over this man of God and to use him for your glory. I pray, God, that you bless him mind, body, and spirit. I pray, God, that you would open heaven for him and pour a blessing out for him. God, I pray let the anointing of the Holy Ghost touch him in a way that you never have. Open doors for him. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, let the power of your spirit rest on this man of God. Lord, I pray your blessing over him. I pray, oh God, that you would guide him and guard him. I pray, God, for his mind, that you would shield it from this world. I pray, God, for his thoughts, that they be pure and holy. I pray, God, that you would protect him, oh Lord. Let the angel of the Lord go with him. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, anoint this man of God. Lord, I pray, God, your blessing on him. I ask you, oh God, to pour an unprecedented revival through his ministry this year. I pray, God, that you would open doors for him. I pray, God, that you would speak to him and give him revelation and understanding. I pray, God, for his personal life. I pray your blessing and your guidance on him. I pray, God, that you would guide him and show him your way and your direction. Lord, in Jesus' name, can you reach over and can you reach out towards this good man of God and pray the blessing of the Lord over him? In the name of Jesus, God, I pray that you would help this church to be a blessing to one another. 
God, I pray that you would help us not to become so inward focused, oh God, that it's all about me and mine and what I can get and what I can do in my name and my reputation. But God, help me when we come together. Help us, oh God, to wash one another with uplifting words. Help us to wash one another, God, with encouragement and prayer and your blessing. Lord, in Jesus' name, I ask you, God, to help us to be an others-focused church. Help us, God, not to look only on the things that concern us, but that concern others. Help us, God. Help me, God, to be one that washes people's feet spiritually and not throw more dirt on it with my tongue and gossip and backbiting and insults. Help me, God, to be, to be a servant, Lord Jesus. Come on, can you pray with me right now? Jesus said, when you wash one another's feet, you're doing what I showed you to do. When he sat down, he said, do you understand what I've just done for you? I've made a foundational law of kingdom living. That you wash one another's feet that you serve one another, that you humble yourself to one another. And by doing so, you establish the fundamental principle of the church, that it's not about self, it's about service. Lord, I thank you, God, for this congregation tonight. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to share this. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to help it become ingrained in our church culture and I pray God that you would help to become ingrained in who we are as individuals God that we exist not for self but for others freely we have received but not for ourselves but so then we can freely give I ask you Lord to help us God as we as in 10 days from now as we as a church do this sacrament together praying one for another and serving one another. I pray, God, let your blessing fall in a mighty and a powerful way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You are dismissed in Jesus' name.